On this episode of Lessons from the Cockpit, I'm gonna tell you about one of those training events in my life that I can look back to and say, this was without a doubt, one of the greatest learning experiences of my Air Force career. And it began with a 3M sticky note on my desk from the third in command on my base in Okinawa, Japan. Special thanks to Wall Pilot, custom aviation art for the walls of your home or office for sponsoring this episode of Lessons from the Cockpit. I am your host, Mark Hacera. For over 24 years, I flew KC-135s in the United States Air Force. I helped develop the KC-135 division of the United States Air Force Weapons School out of Nellis Air Force Base, Nevada. For three years, I taught campaign planning to U.S. service members and our international partners while stationed in Norfolk, Virginia. In 2017, I authored and published the book Tanker Pilot Lessons from the Cockpit, which this show is named after, and can be found in all four formats on Amazon. As a kid standing on the hood of my Grandpa Andy's car, I watched Boeing 707s, Douglas DC-8s, Vickers Viscounts, and Lockheed Constellations take off and land out of Los Angeles International Airport. That is where my passion for aviation began because I said, why work for a living when I can do this? And for over 60 years, I've been associated with airplanes and aviation in some way or another. If you ask any pilot to define flying, he or she will probably tell you, long periods of boredom interrupted by short intermittent periods of extreme terror. On the Lessons from the Cockpit show, we debrief the most fascinating and intriguing pilots, aircrew members, maintainers, and aviation enthusiasts from all over the world. Our show investigates the tactics, techniques, and procedures these aviators created or cultivated during those extreme and extraordinary military, commercial, and private flying operations. This exploration gives our listeners practical advice on how the aviation world works and expands critical thinking skills and expertise in the air and on the ground. Many of these techniques and procedures you are going to hear on this show for the very first time. So, grab an adult beverage of your choice, sit down, strap in, and let's launch the Lessons from the Cockpit show. I came into work late. We were all dog-tired. We just had two weeks of a potential war with North Korea, and all of us in the 18 wing at Okinawa, Japan, retired. Three F-15 squadrons, an AWACS squadron, a tanker squadron, a helicopter squadron, and a C-12 King Air squadron. We were exhausted. Sitting down at my desk at 8.15 in the morning, I see in the middle of my desk a yellow 3M sticky note. And on that note, it says, See me ASAP, Biggs. Biggs is Colonel Randy Bigham, the 18th Operations Group Commander, and my boss's boss. Now, when you have a sticky note from a colonel on your desk like that, there's only two outcomes of a note like that on your desk. Either it's really good or it's really bad. And my boss, call sign ConScan, came in and said, hey, Biggs was looking for you. I said, yeah, I know, sticky note on my desk. What's it say? It says, see me ASAP. Biggs, dude, there are only two outcomes of a note like that on your desk. You better get going. Fortunately, Biggs's office was in within walking distance. And I got there and his exec says, hey, what are you doing here? And I showed her the note. She said the exact same thing. There's only two outcomes of a note like that on your desk. 
I says, you don't know what this is about, Mary? And she goes, no, I have no idea. Sit down over there. He's got uh, Colonel Kugler and Colonel Ziegler in, in there with him right now. I sat down in the chair next to the 18 operations group Samurai Sword, 28-inch katana. And I thought, oh, great. There will be a beheading today at the ops group. Captain Mark R. Hacera is the victim. Colonel Bigham's door opens and Colonel Kugler and Ziegler come out. And Ziegler asks me, what are you doing here? And I show him the note. He says the exact same thing. Dude, there's only two outcomes of a note like that on your desk. Colonel Bigham sees me sitting in the chair and he goes, oh, good, you're here. Wait right there. I got to make a phone call and then uh, I'll bring you in. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, am I in trouble? And I'm thinking while I'm sitting there during that five minutes, what am I in trouble for? So being a good captain like I am, I walk in, stand at attention, salute him <laughs> and say, sir. Captain Hacera reporting as ordered, sir. And he looks up from behind his glasses. He goes, what are you doing? And now I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm in trouble. And I said, sir, you left this sticky note on my desk. I just want to know one thing. Am I in trouble? He goes, no, you're not in trouble. And then he thinks for a moment, why should you be? <laughs> no, I can't think of anything wrong. He says, Sluggo, sit down here beside me. I want to talk to you. I just got back from the operations group commander hot wash of what happened the last two weeks over South Korea. I am tired of being called the 18th Imperial Wing. All of you F-15 Eagle drivers are prima donnas. Your whole wing are prima donnas. The 18th Imperial Wing couldn't fight on two fronts to save their tail ends. And I said, sir, what do you want me to do? He said, using your tactical deception working group, I want you to create an exercise. Secret no Kadena. I don't want any of the commanders to know. I want to fight a war somewhere else, and I want to fight a war down here to prove all of these guys wrong, that the 18th Imperial Wing can fight on two fronts. Can you do that? And I says, sure, I can do that. He says, go back to your office, read Boomer into this thing, He's another F-15 pilot who worked in my office and see what you guys can come up with. Okay, get out of here. You got stuff to do. And I walked out. Colonel Ziegler looked at me. He goes, so what's going on? I said, the boss has me working on a special project and I'm not allowed to tell anybody. Walking back to my office, I'm thinking to myself, what have I just got myself into? How am I going to do this? I don't even know where to start putting together an exercise like that, and he didn't give me a timeline. Walking back into my office, ConScan sees me, my boss, and says, so what was that all about? Boss, I'm working on a secret project for the ops group. I can't tell you what it is, but when Boomer comes in, he's going to be involved too, and all I know, sir, is we're going to be very, very busy for a little while, and I don't know how long that little while is going to take. He says, all right, well, just let me know if you need my help. Boomer walked in just as he said that. Need your help with what? I said, Boomer, close the door. And he goes, what's this all about? I said, you have to sign this non-disclosure agreement before we talk. He goes, Sluggo, what in the world is going on? I said, Boomer, just sign this thing and I'll tell you what's going on. I repeated back to him the same thing that Colonel Bigham had told me. He wanted the two of us to create an exercise where we had an air campaign down here at Kadena 
and a deployed package that went and had a campaign or an exercise somewhere else. We are going to fight two exercises at the same time with one located somewhere else and one here. Boomer turned around in his chair, went to the Pacific Air Force's calendar on his secret computer and said, well, the 35th wing at Misawa in northern Japan is having a local exercise in four weeks, Luggo. That's our due date. And we looked at each other, man, how are we going to do this? So we sat down and started brainstorming together and we came up with a few ideas. The following week, we went back into Big's office and we told him, sir, I think we know how we can do this. Looking at the Pacific Air Force's schedule, Misawa is having an exercise. That's where we can deploy a group of fighters, tankers, and our E-3 command and control airplane. We also noticed that the USS Independence Battle Group is going to be down here in Okinawa the week before. We're going to give them 15 training objectives, see if they will stay here and fight with us down here. He says, well, that's a long shot. I said, I know, but that's our, our draft plan for right now. We're going to do a combat search and rescue exercise. We're going to do a command and control exercise. Colonel Bigham told us, well, we have to do William Tell practice and we've got a Guam air show that we've got to fit in that same week. Boomer and I had our work cut out for us. And we were still thinking, man, are we going to be able to pull this off? But fortunately, we had a great leader in Randy Bigham. And he says, you guys come up with the plan. Come back. Let me mentor you. Talk through it. And let's put this together. And that's exactly what Boomer and I did. Now, I had a lot to learn if I was going to pull this off. If I'm going to do a combat search and rescue exercise, I need to find out how the helicopter guys make their living. So I went to my next door neighbor, whose call sign is Poison, who was a helicopter pilot and a graduate of the helicopter weapon school at Nellis Air Force Base. And I told him, this is what I'm thinking. Fortunately, because he had been an instructor at the helicopter weapon school, he was able to refine some of these scenarios. And he said to me, hey, Sluggo, just come fly with us. And I thought, what a better opportunity to figure out how they do things than just going and flying with the helicopter guys. So the following week, I went down to the 33rd Rescue Squadron. I got checked out in how to use night vision goggles. And I was a passenger sitting right behind Poison in an MH-60 Pavehawk helicopter doing night water search and rescue. That night, I must have broken 300 of those little chem lights that you shake up and threw them out the door because that's how they put a circle around the survivor in the water. And we practiced doing this as well as refueling behind a C-130 in the middle of the night on night vision goggles. I was learning a lot about how our wing worked. To do the command and control exercise, one of the guys that worked in my office, call sign Spitter, who was an AWACS weapons controller, said, hey, just come up with this. And I got to fly a six-hour Korean tactical sortie just south of the North Korean, South Korean DMZ. And I got to watch how they do all of their weapons directing and how they do all their surveillance and listening in on the radios and 
it was an incredible learning experience. I was learning how our wing went to war. The week before it was to kick off, we were in Biggs's office one more time. And Boomer and I explained to him how everything was going to happen in 15-minute time slices from Monday to Friday of the following week. Biggs was ecstatic. He says, this is great work, guys. This is fantastic work. And Boomer said to him, sir, thank you for letting us use our imagination and initiative. He says, guys, this is great work. Great work. The weekend came and the warning order saying, hey, we're about to start an exercise came out. 12 F-15s, four tankers, and an E-3 airborne warning and control airplane left on Sunday for Misawa Air Base in northern Japan. And they did something that had never been done before. We actually loaded an F-15 engine onto a KC-135. It had never been done before. And that was part of our plan. Monday morning at 9 o'clock is when the exercise was going to start. And Boomer and I knew exactly where we needed to be when it started. The F-18s off of the USS Independence were going to attack our base with four Hornets. And we had set little smoke bombs around the base to simulate being bombed. There's a hill at the end of the runways where you can park and watch all of the flight activity from the runways. And Boomer and I parked in that parking space called Habu Hill, where everybody used to watch the SR-71s take off. And it was amazing to watch these F-18s come screaming down on the base at 500 miles an hour, simulate dropping their bombs at 3,000 feet, and then pulling back up with all of this vapor coming off the wings and the wingtips because we're in the Pacific and there's clouds and it's always moist there. It was an amazing sight. And as we were standing there watching, we saw eight F-15s come down, go into the end of the runway, line up on the runway and take off. Eight F-15s and afterburner get to the end of the runway and go straight up. It was an amazing thing to watch. Later on that day, we had another eight ship go out of F-15s and they were defending an island that we could drop live bombs on from the Navy. And a 26-plane package off of the carrier deck came down, fought with our F-15s, dropped bombs on this island called Iishima, organized again, fought their way back to the carrier through the F-15s, and we did that twice a day. During the time period that the airplanes were rearming and refueling, we did what's called a connectivity exercise, where we had the AWACS, the Navy E-2 Hawkeye, which performs the same function as the AWACS, the Navy ES-3B Viking intelligence collection airplane, and the RC-135 Rivet Joint Air Force airplane, all data link together, which had never been done before. We'd never done anything like this in any exercise. And there was a few stumbling blocks the first day. We had a hard time getting all of the data links connected, but by the next day, it happened in a matter of minutes. During this exercise, obviously, there's some humor involved. 
one of those 26 plane packages was about to attack Iwashima and several of the F-15s broke. One of the most experienced F-15 pilots on our base, call sign Shotgun, ended up going out as a two-ship with him and the youngest, most inexperienced F-15 pilot on the base to fight two against 26. Colonel Bigham handed me a 5 by 7 card and said, go give this to Shotgun before he takes off, before he taxis. It said, RF no-go all channels, meaning his radar, his primary sensor was trash. He had to rely on the inexperienced guy next to him to give him information. Of course, they meet this 26-plane package and... Shotgun, being the more experienced guy, lives about 36 seconds longer than the young kid. Shotgun and the new kid get back to the base, and the next day I see that Shotgun's name is on a list. And I take it to Biggs, and he laughs hysterically. You see, the new kid had all of his water survival done. Shotgun was in his training zone to get his done. The next day, he had to go out on a raft in the ocean to be one of the survivors that the helicopters would pick up. And when I showed Shotgun, dude, you're going to the raft tomorrow, he exploded, okay, in a nice way. Sluggo, I live for like 36 seconds longer than, than he did, and I have to go to the raft? Why do I have to go to the raft? And I told him, I said, look, because he's a new guy, he's got his water survival done. You're in your zone to get yours done. You're going to the raft. This isn't fair, Slogo. This isn't fair. I have to go to the raft. And all of his squadron mates heard that, and they all started laughing too, because it meant that he had to get up at six o'clock to meet a 6.30 boat that would take him and drop him out in the ocean, and he would bob in the ocean for about two hours before the helicopters came and picked him up. On Thursday, the USS Independence sent us a message saying, we've got to go home. What we didn't know was they were supposed to go into dry dock and a maintenance period for the ship, but they stayed out an extra week in order to be able to participate in this exercise. It cost the Navy a million dollars a day to move that schedule to Friday. And the Admiral thought it was important enough to participate in this huge exercise that the Navy could suck up $4 million, but he couldn't talk his way out of staying Friday. So they turned and headed back to Tokyo, Japan, where they were based out of. Sitting down Friday morning with my boss, I went through some of the things that I had learned from this exercise. Boomer and I had four weeks to pull this off. And initially, when I walked out of Bigham's office, I was thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to get this done? What is this going to look like? I didn't have any idea what was going to be on this blank sheet of paper. But I got involved. I just said, I'm going to dive in with both feet, and I'm going to learn how this wing works. And it was one of the most incredible learning experiences of my life, because I put the fear of not being good enough behind me and just said, it's time to learn. Let's go learn all this. I got to fly in the AWACS. I got to fly in the helicopter. I even flew in F-15s later on. It was an amazing experience for me. 
I think one of the greatest things that a leader can let his subordinates do is let them use their imagination and their initiative to come up with ideas on how to put things together. All of us have worked at some point in time for micromanagers, and it's the worst experience. But during this four weeks, I had a colonel mentoring me on how to put this together. And he let Boomer and I use our imagination. If you have fear, you don't have imagination. Fear causes imagination to leave. And I couldn't be fearful that I wasn't good enough to put this thing together. And fortunately, I work for a leader that would let me use my imagination, my initiative, my organizational skills to put together one of the greatest learning exercises of my life. The third thing I learned from this is I knew how the largest air superiority wing in the United States Air Force worked. I knew how the helicopters work, how the AWACS worked, how the F-15s worked, how the tankers worked. I knew how to get bombs to and from the airplanes, missiles to and from airplanes. I knew how every piece of that wing worked. I was an expert on how our wing worked. And it was magical having that knowledge and information. Because when it came time to go to war, I'd have that intuitive expertise on how an air superiority wing functions at all levels. From loading missiles all the way up to fighting in the air. I'd seen it all because I'd put it together in this exercise. And that knowledge carried me through other deployments in my life, particularly after 9-11, when I was the chief of the air refueling control team for the air campaigns in Afghanistan and Iraq. I understood how all of those pieces came together. And it was great having that knowledge because people would come to me and ask me, what about this? What about this? What about this? I've told you this was one of the greatest learning exercises of my career because I got involved. I wasn't fearful. I used my imagination and initiative, and I worked for a leader that allowed me to do that. And now I understood how our wing worked. That Friday morning, I walked back into ConScan's office, and he snarled at me. I'm like, why the sour face, boss? And he says, you and Boomer are the bane of my existence today. I go, why is that? He said, Bigham is so pleased with the way this exercise went that he's going to give each of you achievement medals, Air Force achievement medals. And I have to have the write-ups on his desk by 4.30 this afternoon. See, Bigham was a great leader. He knew how to recognize the troops that work for him, particularly the ones that did an exceptional job. And I'm the first to admit, it wasn't just me. It was a team of people that we created inside this tactical deception working group that pulled this off. But here's what this achievement medal reads. Department of the Air Force. This is to certify that the Air Force Achievement Medal has been awarded to Captain Mark R. Hacera for outstanding achievement 29 July 1994 to 26 August 1994. Captain Mark R. Hacera distinguished himself by outstanding achievement as Chief, 18 Operations Group Tanker Tactics, 18 Operations Support Squadron, 18 Wing, Kadena Air Base, Japan. In less than one month, with minimal supervision and guidance, Captain Hacera planned, coordinated, and executed Beverly High 94-6. The exercise was one of the most complicated and diverse local operational readiness exercises 
of the 18th wing to date. Beverly High 94-6 included local William Tell practice, a Guam air show, a local air defense exercise, and a deployed air superiority package. The deployed package consisted of 12 F-15s, four KC-135Rs, and one E-3 AWACS. The local air defense exercise with Kadena-based F-15s defended against the air power of the USS Independence, integrated an RC-135 and E-3 with an airborne command and control element. The highly successful Beverly exercise trained the Kadena battle staff and command and control elements to new heights. The exercise allowed the 18th wing to practice for real-world contingencies, preparing them for armed conflict like no other exercise. The coordination and initiative to integrate all of these assets into one exercise is a credit to his organizational and communication skills and reflects great credit upon himself and the United States Air Force. Given under my hand this 8th day of September, 1994, Signed, Randall K. Bigham, Colonel, United States Air Force, Commander, 18th Operations Group. On the next episode of Lessons from the Cockpit, I'm going to explain to you why the good Lord gave us two ears and one mouth. We spend so much time talking and so little time listening that we miss critical information that can help us perform our job more effective, more efficient, and better. And I learned this while flying in a simulator on the USS Midway Museum in San Diego, California. Special thanks to wallpilot.com for sponsoring this episode of Lessons from the Cockpit. Aviation art for the walls of your home or office can be purchased at wallpilot.com to include images of F-15s from the 18th wing, either at the website or in the show notes below. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Lessons from the Cockpit. I look forward to talking to you again next week. Have a great weekend, folks.